we'll be looking this morning at the fourth of the seven sayings of Christ on the cross. I'm not going to give you any of the introductory material that we have in the past concerning these seven words, but let me just remind you of what the seven words uh, of our Lord on the cross are. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, Luke 23, 34. Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise, Luke 23, 43. Woman, behold your son, behold your mother, John chapter 19, verses 26 and 27. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me, Matthew 27, 46. I thirst, John 19, 28. It is finished, John 19.30. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, Luke 23.46. Now I ask you to turn to, uh, to Psalm 22, because it is obvious that our Lord Jesus Christ in our text this morning, found in Matthew 27, is going to speak the opening words of Psalm 22. Now, it would be entirely appropriate, and I wish we could uh, this morning spend some time looking at Psalm 22, but I have decided we just don't have time. But I would like to do this. I would like to read Psalm 22, the first 18 verses. We'll just read them quickly. And as you read them, I want you to be impressed hundreds of years before the events of the crucifixion. Uh, this Psalm is written by David. And it sounds like it could be a fifth gospel account of what happens to our Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. It is truly quite incredible. So I want to just read this uh, to let you know something that our Lord Jesus Christ obviously has on his mind in uh, the moments that we will be considering uh, this morning as we look at the fourth word of our Lord from the cross. So let's just quickly read Psalm 22 and then we'll move on to Matthew 27. Psalm 22 verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? O oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted, they trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued, in you they trusted, and were not put to shame. For I am a worm and not a man. Scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. On you was I cast from my birth. And from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me. For trouble is near, and there is none to help me. Many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of Basham surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my joints, all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. And you lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me. A company of, company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. 
They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. If you would turn with me to Matthew chapter 27. And our text this morning will be Matthew 27 verses 45 and 46. Verse 45. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There is no doubt that of all the words of Christ from the cross, this fourth word of Christ from the cross is the most mysterious and difficult one. It is mysterious because who can know exactly what is going on between the Father and the Son in the deep darkness of Golgotha? It is difficult because of all things. We would never expect God to forsake the one who was his beloved Son, the one in whom he was well pleased. What could possibly cause God to abandon him, to forsake him? At every other time of hardship in his life, God helped him, God comforted him. But now at his greatest trial, at his time of greatest need, God forsakes him. Most commentators and preachers approach these words with a disclaimer concerning our limitations to fathom such depths as the ones that are found here in this place and in these words, and rightly so. This is a deep place. This is a dark place. This is a holy place. And I hope that we will see this morning God helping us that this is a wonderful place as well. And so we come near with care and with caution. It is right for us to feel inadequate to fully understand these words. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now they make some observations about the circumstances. Jesus has now been on the cross for six long hours. He was crucified at 9 a.m. in the morning. Immediately upon his crucifixion, he utters the first words from the cross, Father, forgive them. Sometime between 9 a.m. and noon, he speaks the second word from the cross to the repentant thief, Today you will be with me. Before noon, he speaks the third word to his mother and to John. Behold your son, behold your mother. Now our text tells us that at the sixth hour, that is at noon, a darkness fell. Literally, it became dark or darkness happened. And it lasted until the ninth hour, that is until 3 p.m., the middle of the afternoon. The suffering of Christ has reached its climax in it is near the end. It is right at 3 p.m., and Jesus is in the final minutes of his life. As the darkness is nearly over, Jesus cries out the fourth word from the cross, words taken directly from Psalm 22:1. words that he speaks exactly as they are found there in Psalm 22. He speaks the words not in Greek, but in Hebrew from the Old Testament text, Eli, Eli. Lamai Sabachthani. 
Now, Eli is the Old Testament name of God, the name El. It means strong one or the mighty God. And then when you add the word, the letter I to the name El, Eli, uh, it makes it possessive. My El, my strong one. So El, the strong one, Eli, my strong one. Lamam is a, is a word of question. It means what or how or why. Sabachthani means to leave, to depart, to forsake. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? These last three words on the cross will come quickly. I thirst. It is finished. Into your hands I commit my spirit. All spoken here at about 3 p.m. I want us to consider just one question this morning. What does it mean for Jesus to be forsaken by God? What is that about? Uh, Why is that happening? That is what we will try to consider uh, this morning. Now, we'll be helped by several Bible doctrines that I hope will clarify for us what is going on in these moments and in these words. It is obvious from the gospel accounts that Jesus is dealing with his disciples that he is dealing with the people of Israel, that he is dealing with the religious authorities, that he is dealing with uh, many who are his real enemies and that want to see him dead. But I suggest to you that all of those things are secondary as Christ comes to the cross. On the cross, Jesus is dealing with God the Father. Please make no mistake about this. Throughout the scriptures, it is always God who initiates what we see happening at the cross. Isaiah 53, 10. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He, that is God, has put him to grief. Acts 2, 23. Speaking of the crucifixion, it says this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Romans 8.32, God did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. 1 John chapter 4, verse 9, God sent his only son into the world so that, he, so that we might live through him. And then in verse 10, he loved us and sent his son, to be the propitiation for our sins. And in verse 14, the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. God has sent His Son to this very moment uh, that we now witness here on the cross. This is God's doing. We should make no mistake about that when we think about Christ and the cross. And 1 John chapter 4 tells us that this is happening because God loves us, Because his son is going to deal with our sin, and he is going to be our Savior. Now, I want to think about this question first by identifying several things that these words do not mean, and then by several things that they do mean. So, first of all, what these words do not mean. As we approach these words, we must remember that Jesus Christ, unique in all the world, is God in the flesh. He is the eternal Son of God, divine. He is the Son of Man, human. 
This is one of the greatest, if not the greatest, of all mysteries. Paul speaks about it in this way in 1 Timothy 3.16. He says there, Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh. It is a deep and a great mystery, a mystery indeed. Consider these things that the words, uh, that the words my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, do not mean. This cry does not mean that Christ ceased to be God. He does not stop being divine before or after or during this trial on the cross. He is two natures in one person, divine and human forever. This cry does not divide the man Jesus from his divine nature so that this union ceases to be. The separation of the Father and the Son does not take place in his divine nature. It is the man, Jesus, in here, here in his human nature, who is separated from, the, from his God and the Father on the cross. Now, this is the whole reason for the incarnation. God cannot die. The persons of the one God cannot be separated. The one God, Father, Son, and Spirit are blessed forever and cannot suffer. The one God, Father, Son, and Spirit cannot forsake one another. If you think carefully about it, I trust that you will see that these things are true because of the nature and being of the triune God. And those things could never happen uh, if something is not changed. And what happens? What happens is we see the Son of God become a real man, taking on human nature through the incarnation so that he might suffer and die for sinners. Jesus is there on the cross, a real man representing real men and real women and real boys and real girls. He is our substitute. He is in the place that we deserve and he can be there in our place because he has been made to be exactly like us. In the language of Hebrews 2.17, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect to make propitiation for the sins of the people. The real man, the human man Jesus, was forsaken by God for the sake of his brothers and sisters. The eternal divine Son of God was not for one moment separated from his eternal divine Father. Christ did not cease to be a member of the Trinity. It was God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit that was at work in bringing about salvation in this very hour that we are considering this morning. Also consider that the man Jesus did not cease to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The man Jesus continues to be holy and righteous and sinless through the power of the Spirit, even in the cross event that is before us. And so the words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, do not mean that he ceases to be God, that his divine and human natures are altered in any way, or that there is a change in the unity or in the blessedness of the Trinity, or that the man, Jesus, is separated from the Holy Spirit. 
So what do these words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What do they mean? Well, consider two things that we find in our text that will help us. The first is in verse 45, where it talks about darkness. And the second is in verse 46, which talks about being forsaken. First, the darkness of verse 45. It reads, Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. Darkness is an outward visible sign of the judgment of God. In common grace, in this life, sinners are never utterly forsaken by God. One of the ways that we see this is in Matthew 5:45, where we read, For he, God, causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. There is common grace even for the evil and the unrighteous. Never complete separation from God. The darkness that has come at high noon is a symbol, a picture, a message that all grace, even the common grace that God gives even to the evil, is being withheld from Jesus. Let me read two passages to you from the Old Testament. First, Amos chapter 8, verses 9 and 10. And on that day, declares the Lord God, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. I will turn your feast into mourning and all your songs into lamentation. I will bring sackcloth on every waist and baldness on every head. I will make it like the, like the morning for an only son. Mourning as in we mourn over an only son that has died. And the end of it like a bitter day. And then Isaiah chapter 13, verses 9 and 10. Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel, with wrath and fierce anger, to make the land a desolation and to destroy its sinners from it. For the stars of the heavens and their constellations will not give their light. The sun will be dark at its rising. The moon will not shed its light. Darkness at noon, the sun dark giving no light or signs of God's judgment and of the day of the Lord. Now, what is the day of the Lord? It is the day of God's judgment and of God's wrath. It is that future day that the scriptures often talk about at the end of the world when God's judgment and wrath will finally come on all unrighteousness and all sin. For Jesus... And for his people, this is the day of the Lord. For Jesus and every sinner that he is representing on the cross, the day of God's judgment is not a future day. It is this day. Christian, we do not look with dread to a day when God will come to us with wrath and judgment. 1 Thessalonians 1.10, speaking of our Lord, uh, calls him there Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. This outward darkness is giving us a glimpse of what is happening in the soul and spirit of Jesus as all the light of God is taken from him. Now, secondly, our text talks about in the next verse, forsaken. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
Now, we have never been forsaken by God. We may feel sometimes forsaken or abandoned, but it is never true. Jesus here on the cross is really and truly forsaken by God. Let me see if I can say this very plainly to you. These words mean that the man Jesus is experiencing the full measure of hell on the cross in order to save his people. Now, what is hell? Well, hell is principally two things. First, hell is the complete separation of sinners from the goodness of God. The agony of hell will be the complete separation from the blessing, mercy, and, and patience of God. Separation from blessing because the only interaction there will be between God and sinners in hell will be the reality of being utterly cursed and cut off from all favor and kindness and blessing. Separation from mercy because there will no longer be any pity or compassion or restraint on the part of God concerning sin and its consequences. Separation from patience because nothing about judgment will be deferred or postponed or checked or held back. It will all be unleashed and it will be continually present. Whatever other torments there may be uh, and consequences there may be uh, to hell, the great horror of hell is the complete separation from every goodness of God. Sinners will be utterly forsaken by God. Secondly, hell is the experience of the wrath of God. The scriptures teach us that God is angry on account of sin. Romans 1.18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. We have sinned against God, and He is mad about it. Sin is personal to God. Sin is not something abstract. And by the way, those of you who have been in our Hebrew Sunday School class will know that this is uh, territory that we, about a month or two ago, uh, were talking about in our Sunday School class. So uh, I just ask you to bear with me as we listen to some of this a second time. God is... Um, it is personal to God, and sin is not against something abstract. It is not like a, a sin is against the United States or it's against the state of North Carolina. It is against a person. God is personally offended. Sin is against him and him personally. The anger of God is not all in a flash. It is the considered righteous careful indignation over sin. It is a constant, deep, burning, personal anger towards sin on the part of God. Romans 2.5 says, You are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath. Think about it. Every time you and I sin, God is storing up an appropriate, measured indignation toward us. Remember these words from Matthew chapter 26. If you want to turn back in your Bible uh, to Matthew 26, notice these words that we see in the previous chapter. Our Lord is there in the garden. And in verse 38, he says this, 
My soul is very sorrowful even to death. In verse 39, he says, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And then down in verse 42, he says, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. What is Jesus shrinking back from here at Gethsemane? He is shrinking back from realizing that, that, in his, that he will be absorbing in his human soul the white-hot, unrestrained wrath of God directed toward every sin of every Christian that will ever be. The great agony of the cross was not the physical suffering, which we often uh, focus on, because we can understand that. We can, we, can, we, can, we can see what happens to him literally and physically in his beating and in his torture, and we can appreciate that. But the great agony of the cross is the suffering of his soul, exposed to the unrestrained wrath of God and being separated from all grace and goodness. Propitiation is the doctrine that the man, Jesus, in his death actually satisfies the wrath of God towards the sin of all of his people, all of his sheep, all of his church, all of God's elect, all of those that have been given to him by his Father, all who trust and believe in him, different ways of describing the same people. From the first one in the garden at the very beginning of human history to the very last person that will ever believe at the end of the world, the wrath of God satisfied concerning the sins of all of them on the account of Christ here on the cross. On the cross, Christ satisfies the wrath of God concerning each and every one of his sheep. And if you are a Christian, it includes you. At the cross, the wrath of God is spent and satisfied. It is completely unleashed and poured out. It is not covered over. It is not put off. It is not appeased. It is not held back to some other time. Remember Romans 2.5, we are storing up wrath for ourselves for the day of wrath. At the cross... God pours out his wrath on Christ an appropriate amount of considered righteous holy indignation for every sin of every person given to Christ to save. Now here's the important point of what I just said. There remains no wrath for God's people because it is fully vented and poured out on Christ. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, there is no wrath left for you. It does not have to be, uh, it does not have to be unleashed and, and finally spent. God, at some future time, it is satisfied forever toward you. This is the wonder of the cross, that God is satisfied consider, con concerning my sin and your sin. I hope it makes you appreciate the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, we sing about this in the hymn, In Christ Alone. We, we sing the words, 
till on that cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. That's what we're singing about, exactly this. What does it mean to say that Jesus was forsaken? It means that his father left him alone in order for him to endure the pain of hell in full measure. It means that Jesus drank every drop of the bitter cup of the wrath of God. This is an awful place. This is a wonderful place. Believers in the Lord Jesus Christ will never know the wrath of God or separation from God. The promise to every Christian is this. I will never leave you or forsake you. Let me make some observations from this fourth word of Christ on the cross. If you're not a Christian, I hope the observation would be obvious to you. The God of heaven will fully pour out his wrath on every sin. And the God of heaven will remove all grace and favor and goodness from every sinner. There are no exceptions to that. You will either experience this really and personally, or Christ will do that in your place. It will be one or the other. The gospel calls for you to run to Christ and to be saved. The scriptures speak in this way. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. That is the testimony of scripture. And I urge you to go to Christ and be delivered from the wrath to come. Dear Christian, consider what this experience means for you now. We read of no word from anyone during these three hours. There was extraordinary light when our Lord Jesus Christ was born. There was extraordinary darkness here as he is dying. As you read this account in the gospel, you, you, can, you can just feel the silence and you can feel the darkness. Dear one, do you understand and believe that Jesus, our tender Savior and our great high priest, can understand your darkness? That he is able to sympathize with your darkest moment? He is able to sympathize with the deepest darkness of your soul, with your greatest distress and anxiety? Here in the darkest moment in the history of the whole world, the darkest moment that this world has ever known, Jesus Christ is learning and being perfected and being matured and being seasoned so that no matter what you face, he is able to come to your aid with sympathy and with compassion. Hebrews 2.10 says it this way, it was fitting for God to perfect the hero of our salvation through suffering. And here his training and preparation comes to its climax on the cross. What was he training and preparing for? He was training and preparing to be able to help you in the time of your need, to be a perfect high priest and a tender, merciful Savior. 
let me remind you of one very important thing about our Lord Jesus Christ. As the sin bearer of all the sins of his people, he was the object of God's wrath and judgment. He was cursed. I would like for you to turn with me to John chapter 10 for just a moment. John chapter 10. Here our Lord is on the cross. He is the cursed one. And even as he suffers, and every mercy and every blessing is taken from him, as he is completely separated from and forsaken by his Father, he is completely loved by his Father, never loved more than at this moment. When he is forsaken. Look at the words here in John chapter 10. Begin in verse 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. Now notice these words in the beginning of verse 17. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. I would suggest to you at this moment of his abandonment that this is also the greatest moment of the love of the Father for his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. At this moment, as the fourth word from the cross is spoken, he is cursed. But at this moment, he is most admired, most approved of, most loved by his Father. Now the question is, do you love the one who lays down his life for sinners? As we come to the Lord's table, this is what we celebrate. This broken body, this life poured out, not on account of his sin, but on account of ours. Let us take the, let us take the table this morning in all of the one who has experienced hell for us that we might never know and never experience the wrath of God and that we might never know what it means to be separated from God and forsaken by him. So let's go to the table with these things in mind. I would ask the men to come forward that will be serving this morning.